four names to just say to you right now. Let me just, I wonder, don't say anything out loud. Don't give anything away. But let me read these names out to you. Boris Johnson. Jeremy Hunt. Corbyn. Nigel Farage. Now, I don't know what political situation you guys are. I don't know where you vote. I it doesn't really matter right now. But I'm pretty sure that when I mentioned one of those names, you shuddered internally, right? And these are people who could potentially be Prime Minister of the United Kingdom over in the next few months. We, we don't know, okay? Um, so how are we as Christians to live in such a tense political environment? Whoever becomes Prime Minister in the next few weeks and months? Big question, right? Well, this passage speaks directly to us. But let me give you another name, okay, that you might not be so familiar with, if you know your history you might be, and that's Nero. Emperor Nero. Caesar of Rome. Now imagine if he was about to become Prime Minister. This is the guy who, who they tell us was, um, was playing the fiddle while Rome burnt, okay? This is the guy who is famous for taking Christians just 10 years after this letter was written, hanging them in his gardens and setting them alight as candles to light his beautiful garden. That is the, the emperor who was in power when this letter was written. Doesn't that just put our prime ministerial challenges in perspective just a little bit? We might find the things we're about to read really challenging in our, in our climate here in this country at the moment, but it's nothing compared to how challenging and, and, and that it would have been for the first Christians that read it. And for many Christians indeed who would read these words right across the world today. I mean, we live in a, rel in a relatively free, free society, a free democracy, one of the freest democracies, that's, the freest societies that's ever been on the earth. Okay, but there are still Christians who are living under great oppression around the world. People living in countries where, where their rulers don't care for them as they ought. And maybe you're visiting us today and that's the situation that you're coming from. Remember Nero, you know, this, this passage is relevant for you as well. It's relevant for all of us, no matter where we're living in, whatever age, it's relevant and we need to hear from it. So. As we, in our political climate in this age, we're, we're in the UK right now, when we think of political leaders, we, we think, do we honor them or do we want to throw a milkshake at them? I mean, that's pretty much what goes on in our, on, on TV nowadays, isn't it? So, so the question is, how do we as Christians, in the context of being living sacrifices, because that's, that's the context that this passage is in, isn't it? So you go back to Romans 12. We're told, to, in, in view of God's mercies, in view of all that he's done for us, live your lives as living sacrifices. And he's, Paul is unpacking what it means to be a living sacrifice. He starts to talk about authorities. And he says, as Christians who are living sacrifices and subjects of the king of kings, ultimately, how do we live in a world of lesser kings, of lesser rulers? How are we to, to live? And that's the ultimate answer to this question this passage is answering. And within that, we're going to look at three different headings. Let me read these out to you first so you know where we're going. The first one by far will be the longest, and it's this. 
Submit to God's authority through human authorities. That's our first point. Submit to God's authority through human authorities. The second point is pay what you owe, especially in love. Pay what you owe, especially in love. And the third point we'll look at is wake up. Salvation is sooner than you think. Wake up. Salvation is sooner than you think. So the first one, submit to God's authority through human authorities. And this is primarily the first seven verses of our passage. And it starts with, Paul says, let everyone be subject to governing authorities. For there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. And the point is really simple, isn't it? God is in authority. God is sovereign over all things. He is in absolute control. He is the one holding the stars in their place. He is the one who's controlling the speed of light. He is the one who understands gravity that's holding you in your seat right now because he created that law. And he is the one in authority over all people, all kings, everywhere on this planet right now, whatever country they're in, he's the one in authority. When Jesus... One of his last words that he spoke to his disciples before he ascended into heaven, he said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go. Jesus is saying, he is the one in authority over all rulers and powers. Regardless of how it looks, he is the one in control. And that's Paul's point. All authority belongs to God and then he takes it a little further. Any authority that we experience in this world that, is, that, is, um, that we have over us is ultimately under God's authority and therefore comes from God's authority. Therefore, the rulers of this world, he tells us, are his servants for his greater purposes. You know, this doesn't mean that those rulers are good in human terms, by by any means, or even in godly terms. But what it does mean is that he is in control. Nero wasn't a good man. But God had placed him in authority for his good purposes. We we have examples of this right through Scripture. Let me just give you a couple. So so in Jeremiah, uh, Jeremiah is writing about um, the king Nebuchadnezzar. Um, that, 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 is, that is about to destroy Jerusalem or just destroy Jerusalem. This, this is what he says about him. Jeremiah 27 verse 6. Now I will give all countries into the hands of my servant Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. And I will even make wild animals subject to him. One of the, the great kings of Babylon. Not a godly king. He's the guy that built a great big statue and told everyone to worship him. Not a godly king. But here we see that God is saying, he is my servant. And he only behaves as I will allow him to. He's on my leash. He's my servant. And when he attacks Jerusalem, he's coming as punishment from me. And then again in in John chapter 19, as Jesus is before um, Pilate, Jesus says this to Pilate while he's being questioned. You would have no power over me if it were not given you from above. So Pilate thinks he's in control over Jesus' life. And Jesus says, no, you're not. You've got no control over my life. God is in control. 
And the only reason why I'm in this position right now is because God has allowed it to be. You, Pilate, are God's servant. Might not feel like it, but you're on God's leash. You're only here doing what God allows you to do. All authority in heaven and earth belongs to our king, the king of kings. So if that's true, then you take the point a little bit further. Paul says that if we rebel against human authority, then in fact we're rebelling against God. It's a little more painful, isn't it? Whoever rebels against, human, against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted in verse 2. We are called to obey God through human authorities. And God describes this as a gift. Why? Well, I think one way to think about it is, this, is that God has placed society and human authorities in the world as a common grace. Uh, and, and the intention is for good. You see, in order for us to thrive and be safe in society, we need structures. We need to know how to, how to live well with our neighbors and how to w- live well in a wider society. And we need to have rules that are, that are agreed that we live by in order to, to get on with each other and, and, and to serve. And that, that's a good thing. Okay, but that, I think that's the intention of human society. That's the, God's intention for, for, for human governments. And then along with those things, we, we, we're reminded in here, that, that come um, warnings. So he says, for rulers hold no terror for those who do right, but for those who do wrong. Do you want to be free from the fear of, of, of one in authority? Then do what is right and you'll be commended. For the one in authority is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid. For rulers do not bear the sword for no reason. They are God's servants, agents of wrath to bring punishment on the wrongdoer. So, so the way it's supposed to work is that God has ordained human society and, and, God, and human authorities to, to provide a, a sustained environment that we can live and, and, and love and grow and be, and, and, and be successful and be happy. And when we obey the rules, then life should go well. And when we break the rules, then there are things in place to stop us from, from living a selfish a life that's so selfish that we damage other people. And so therefore there are punishments. And that's why um, there are police officers. That's why there are courts. That's why there are prison services and parole officers. They are God's common grace to us. That's what this passage is telling us. They are God's servants. Therefore, in verse 5, it is necessary to submit to the authorities not only because of possible punishment, but because of a matter of conscience. Punishment, when we do wrong, and we we live for ourselves, and we, we say, stuff everybody else, it's all about me and my comfort and my money and my life, then punishment. But, but conscience, because actually, when it's not just people that we're rebelling against, we're rebelling against systems that God has put in place. And we're to submit, submit to his authority through human authorities. So for our conscience as well. And Paul tells us in, 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 in a very way that's kind of poignant what, what this means directly. This means pay your taxes, right? Okay. Everyone turns off right now. It's not what you want to hear. Paul says, pay your taxes. This is also why you pay taxes, for the authorities are God's servants who give their time to the full governing. One way in which God works out his common grace in our, in our society is by, by us working and then paying taxes into the system which provides national health service and police and all these other things that are good. And, and God says, as Christians, 
who are under God's authority, we're to pay into that. We're to willfully, gladly give to that, recognizing that this is, this is a way that God is using our money for the good of other people, for the good of the whole nation, and maybe for the world in different ways. So we're to pay our taxes. The authorities are God's servants. And I think this principle applies beyond governments as well. Because Paul goes on in verse 7, to everyone... Give to everyone what you owe them. If taxes, pay taxes. If revenue, then revenue. If respect, then respect. If honor, then honor. Have you ever had a boss you really don't like? A boss who, who, who you think you could do their job a lot better than them? Or got a boss that kind of flies into the office, makes lots of bad decisions, then zooms off and leave, leaves you holding the baby? And then you just think, I... Oh. Have you ever had to serve under a boss like that? Well, I'm sure it's something we could all... That's not daft, by the way. Okay? <laughs> Just to clarify, that's not daft. But we've all had bosses like that. We've all been in situations like that. And what, what does God say? Well, he, Paul says, if they've been placed in authority over us, then, then treat them in such with respect and with honor. Not because they necessarily deserve it, but because the king of kings deserves it. And he, is in his, he has put that person in authority over you. A few years ago, I, I remember being not, not here in another church, and there was this um, teenage girl at the time, and she, and she really did not like authority at any level. Okay, so she always fought against the teachers. She always thought, what gives them the right to, to be in authority over my life? Why, what makes them better than me, that they should tell me what to do? You know, the real shock was that this girl was a pastor's daughter. Okay, that might not surprise you. That might make perfect sense for you. But, it, but I remember it, it really shocked me. And then I remember once, one day I was talking to the pastor, and he told me that, that he went, and uh, he went on a school trip once with her, and um, one of the things the teachers told them to do was to not roll down the, the grassy bank. You can imagine how the, a grassy bank might look really fun, might look like a, a great way to kind of just express your freedom. But, but it, was, it was protected grass. It, it, it was there. It, it had been carefully cared for. It was in a very ornate garden. And there were signs everywhere, do not go on the grass. So the teacher says, do not go on the grass. The pastor was one of the parents who went on this trip. You know what he did? He rolled down the grass. And then the other children started to follow him in rolling down the grass. And as he was telling me this, it clicked. No wonder your daughter, it rebels against all authority because that's what you do. That's what you've done. And I'll be honest with you, that girl is nowhere with Christ right now. She was a Christian then. And she willfully chooses to disobey God in her life. Now, I'm not, I'm not, I don't want to put, put it down specifically to this thing and say this, because he rolled down the bank, she's no longer with the Lord. But I do want to say, the way we model authority in our lives as parents, as leaders, as teachers, will affect how people respond to God. That's true. How we talk about our bosses, how we talk about our parents, how we talk about the people around us who God's put in authority, how we talk about our politicians, will affect the way our children think about God. And I just want to lay that challenge out before us. If someone in authority tells you not to roll down the grass, 
This passage is telling you God is telling you not to roll down the grass. And we need to take that seriously. Now, I've got to just say this at this point. You know, as you think, you think, this is really tough. I mean, are there exceptions to this rule? I mean, I think there are biblical exceptions, and I won't go into these in great detail because that's not what the primary purpose of this passage is. The purpose of this passage is to challenge us in this way because we need to be challenged. But I do want to say two things. Sometimes there, there is abuse of authority where, where people will ab- use their position of authority to abuse people below them and cause harm and do damage, and that's bad. Okay, that isn't God's plan. That isn't God's purpose. That's people abusing the authority that God has given them. And judgment will come for them in this world or the next. But, and we live in a society, actually, where, where we, fortunately, in this, in this country, where, where that is illegal. And you can deal with that. You don't have to take it. You can take it to other places of authority to challenge their authority. Okay? Abuse of power in, in our society is illegal. Okay, so it's not a bad thing to challenge that and to take it to the higher authorities. So I'd I'd say that. I think that might be an exception. And then another one is, unless what they say directly contradicts the commands of God. Because God is the one in ultimate authority. And remember, we're talking about the Romans here. And one of the things Roman Christians refused to do was to, to, to bow and to worship the Roman gods. Even if it was just a little doff of the hat. And because they refused to do that, because they refused to, to worship Caesar, they faced awful persecution. Yet they were still good citizens in every other way. But in this area, they, they knew this was in contradiction to God's law, so they challenged it. And we have an example of this in, in Acts chapter 4, when Peter and John are before the authorities, um, in the Jewish authorities, and when they're told to stop talking about Jesus, they say this, in Acts chapter 4 verse 9, which is right in God's eyes, to listen to you or to listen to him. You be judges. As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we've heard. So if the, the law, if a law gets passed in this country, as it's been passed in other countries, don't talk about Jesus, then we are to continue talking about Jesus while trying our best to respect the authorities above us in every other way we possibly can. Okay? So I think there are biblical exceptions to these rules, and we need to navigate them. I think one way, it's just worth thinking as well on another level that that, um, it's different for us than it was for the the church in Rome and and for any other, most of the countries that have ever lived before us actually because we live in in a democratic society, don't we? So our vote counts, our voice matters. And by God's grace, we live in a, in a country where things, we're allowed to input into the, into the governmental system. We're, we're allowed to, to have our voice heard. And I think that's an absolutely great gift to us from God, and we should rule that. So we, it, it, how, how does this sort of principle work out in, in the democratic society that we find ourselves in? Well, one, it means obey the laws. It means pay your taxes and obey the speed limit. It means vote knowingly, willingly, in humility and with prayer. And it also think means in our context that we may protest. There are times when it's right to, to go and protest outside Parliament or, or in other ways. But when you do so, do so within the law. I think it's worth saying that. We're, we're allowed to protest. We're allowed to say, to, to stand up and have our voice heard. But do it with respect and with honor. Acknowledging that it is a gift that we have from God to be able to do so. So, 
pay your taxes, keep to the speed limit, and any other law that comes to mind. And whoever becomes prime minister, whatever happens with Brexit, honor your human leaders, for they are God's servants. And you know what? This is great news. Why not sound like it? Pay your taxes, because God's in control. But it is great news. It means that whatever happens, who knows what's going to happen on October the 31st, right? Not no one in this room has a clue. No one in the world has a clue. But we have a king in heaven who does, and he's in control. And he's the one who's working out all his purposes through human authorities for good. So that's great news. Stop worrying about Brexit or Remain. Stop worrying about it. And let's get on with living for Jesus in this world. Let's not be obsessed by this stuff. We can, be, we can throw off the shackles of all this political stuff and we can just live for Jesus. I think that's great news. So that's my first point, and like I've said, that's by far my longest. Let me move on to these next one. Pay what you owe, especially in love, verses 8 to 10. Let no debt remain outstanding, except continuing the continuing debt to love one another. For whoever loves one another has fulfilled the law. So here he reminds the Christians, look, to, to obey God's higher law. Look, God, yes, there's human law, but remember God has this higher law, which is about loving the people around us. For whoever loves has fulfilled the law. And he reminds us of the commandments in verse 9. It's interesting the ones that he does pick there. You, sh- you shall, don't commit adultery, don't murder, you shall not steal, do not covet. And he says, and whatever commandment there may be, they're all summed up in this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. Now, we've been reminded of this over and over again in, in Romans in the past few weeks. And I, you know, I don't want to spend too much time on this point, but I, I think there's a reason why Paul is placing it here. As he's talking about obeying and submitting to, to, to the laws of the land, I think one of the things he's trying to help us to see is actually if you live by this law, you will live under human law. That, that you don't have human laws that go against murdering people. There, you know, there's, no such, there's no law that says go and kill people. There's no law that says carry on, go on, steal. Isn't it interesting? All these, law, these legal systems, the majority of them, live under this code that God has set. And if we live by the principle, love your neighbor as yourself, there are lots of human laws that we will obey that perhaps right now you might not mind rebelling against. So, um, pay your taxes, keep the speed limit. Taxes keep the system going. The speed limit saves lives. I mean, this means that this is really hard for me, if I'm honest, you know. Um, I, I'm not, I don't think I'm a major speeder here in the UK. But in Sweden, oh, I tell you, in Sweden, they are the slowest bunch of drivers you've ever seen. You, know, you, you, you take... The, the, the miles per hour, turn it to kilometers, turn 30 miles an hour to 30 kilometers an hour, you get slower, and then you go 10 kilometers under that just to make sure. Oh, it's so frustrating being an English driver, driving around sweet, it's so frustrating. You know, these people who just take half an hour to overtake, you know, you just, oh, please, granddad, speed up. But it means that when I move to Sweden, then I, I will need to keep that law. I will have to do it to obey God. No matter how frustrating it is. Because why did they put those laws in place? Why does, why does Sweden have the, the slowest roads in Europe? Because they have the safest roads in Europe. Less people die per capita on Swedish roads than anywhere else in the world. Safest place to let your children ride on the roads on their bikes. 
Safest, world, safest place in the world to cross the road. Safest place in the world to, to park your car on the, on the road. Safest place in the world to be in a car. Love your neighbor. Obey the speed limit. A few weeks ago, there was, um, it might have been last week actually, I was talking to, to Tony Sage, and he might be able to give you more details about this, but there was a school not too far away from here that was in the news. And um, they, had, they were working with the police for the day. You might know about this. And basically they were on a, 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 like a high street near their school and the police were pulling over cars that were speeding. Okay? And then they were given a choice in the car. Now, I can give you a ticket. You can pay that ticket and pay the fine and get points on your license. Or you can have a conversation with these school kids. Most people pick the conversation with the school kids because they don't like spending money, do we? And then they open the, 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 the kids would come and the kids would ask them questions. Why were you speeding? Did you know there was a school nearby? Do you know what happens if you hit a child at that speed that you were driving? Do you think those people are going to speed again? Those kids are reminding those drivers that actually obeying the speed limit and all those kind of laws are put in place as a human form of loving thy neighbor. That's why they're there. Think about those kids and about God's authority next time you want to put your pedal to the, to the, pedal to the ground. Now, so loving people means we will obey God's higher law, and as we obey God's higher law, then we will be obeying many of human laws as well. But in relation to this, Paul is worried because many of us are asleep. Many of us get excited about other kinds of sermons, but not ones that say pay your taxes and keep to the speed limit. So Paul says in this last section, verses 11 to 14, wake up, salvation is sooner than you think. Wake up, salvation is sooner than you think. Stop slumbering, verse 11. And do this, and as, as you do this, understand the present time. The hour has already come for you to wake up from your slumber. Because of our salvation is nearer now than when we first believe. I think this reminder covers more than just these verses we've been looking at. I think it goes right back to the Romans 12 where we're told about living our lives as, as uh, living sacrifices. I think Paul has all this section in mind. And, he, and he's, he's just trying to shake us, shake the church in Rome, shake us to take this stuff seriously because it matters. Today, you are closer to salvation. Today, no matter how old you are, how young you are, you are one day closer to meeting your maker. You're one day closer to being with Jesus in glory if you're trusting in Jesus. That's who you are, that's where you are. That means you have one day less to battle with your sin. One day less. Now, that might sound like an insignificant thing, one day, but what if tomorrow is the day you're going to meet with Jesus? What if tomorrow is the day Jesus returns? What if the, tomorrow is the day you get hit by a bus? Then today matters, right? Paul said, wake up, you're one day closer. Salvation is nearer than you think. I've been a Christian 20 years, 20 plus years now, and I can tell you, it doesn't feel like 20 years. It feels like five minutes. Time whips by so quick. I was saved on September the 9th, 1998. That's 20 years, nine months, and six days ago. Okay? You know, just, just, I did some maths on this, and I kind of worked out that I must have listened to 2,000 sermons at least in that time. At least. 
Probably listened to loads more than that. Been to thousands of, of seminars. How many times have I read the Bible? Thousands upon thousands of times I've read the Bible. Yet there are still sins that I recognize from 10, 15, 20 years ago that are, that are still lodged in my heart. There are still things that, that I, as I'm thinking about all this stuff that I've absorbed, if I'd even taken in a tenth of it, I would be a completely transformed person right now. How much of what challenges me on a weekly basis in God's word do I just simply ignore because I think salvation is a far thing away? Isn't that true for all of us? So we ask, where should you be if every time you were convicted and cut by God's word, where would you be right now? Paul says, wake up. He says, Ben, wake up. This stuff matters. Salvation is nearer than you think. Then he gives us some examples of this. He says, basically says, live, live your life in light of gospel um, in, in the light. Live your life in the light. The night is nearly over. Oh, praise God, the night is nearly over. The day is almost here. Oh, praise God, the day is almost here. So let's put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Think about it for a second. I mean, there's a list here. Of what, of what some of those things are. Let us behave decently as in the daytime, not carousing, drunkenness, not in sexual immorality or debauchery, not dissension or jealousy. Just a little list. But I'm pretty sure, you know, so there's something that you might, might be thinking about right now that is leading you away from Jesus, something that you do that you know you shouldn't be doing. And these things are obvious, aren't they? The things that are done at nighttime, the things we don't want other people to see, the things that we wish we, we, we could do at nighttime with the, with the curtains closed, we go off so nobody else in our church family can see us. Those are the things that Paul's talking about here. He says, no, do the things that you can parade in the light. Focus on the things that you can do and for everyone to see. Live a life like that. I mean, think about it. So far we've said obey human authorities, pay taxes, keep the speed limit. This includes teachers, police officers, and our bosses, no matter how radical they are. Remember Nero. And um, live a life of love at all times. And now we're told to fight your sin. This is really, really hard stuff. It goes against everything inside us. And the reality is we cannot do this on our own. We're called to God's high standard. This is an impossible standard God is setting for us right now in his word. But then Paul says in verse 14, rather... Clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ and do not think about how to gratify the desires of the flesh. It says, clothe yourself with Christ. Take off all that other stuff and clothe yourself with him. Do you know the phrase, um, starve a cold and feed a fever? Uh, starve a cold and drown a fever, or is it the other way around? I, I think you ask different people, they, they say it different way around. Some of you know, you can correct me later on. Um, But I think there's a better phrase that we can apply to this, and it's this, starve your flesh and feed on Jesus. Starve your flesh and feed on Jesus. I think that's really what Paul is saying when he says, clothe yourself with Christ, put him on. And and like the deeds of darkness, I don't think it's hard for us to figure out what what clothing ourselves in Christ means. I think we, 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 we sometimes say it's hard, but actually no, it's not. It is stuff as simple as 
as reading our Bible, as praying, as hanging out with other Christians, as being, being in church and going to the prayer meetings and, and reading God's Word and soaking our mind in Christ at every opportunity. It is as simple as that. Yeah, we make it much harder, but that's really what he's, what he's talking about. He's saying, look, take the things out of your life that, that you know are holding you back. Those things that are stopping you living for Jesus. Those things that are getting in the way. Those desires that are leading you away from Christ. And instead, go to Christ at every opportunity. Gather yourself, gather around your friends who can encourage you in God's word. Read God's word. Spend time with Jesus. Clothe yourself with him. Feed on Christ. So what part of your flesh do you need to starve right now? If there's something in your mind, write it down. Pray about that thing. Starve it. Kill it. Fight it. Salvation is closer than you think. How can you feed on Christ right now? It's not rocket science. And the great thing is that when we fail, we have wonderful verses in the Bible like this. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of all unrighteousness. Isn't that a great verse? We strive to, to live for Jesus. We want to live for him. And we fail and we think, oh, we're never going to do it. And then Jesus said, confess your sins and I'll forgive you of all unrighteousness. It's okay, I've paid for it on the cross. You can do it, keep trying. And by the way, I'll fill you with my spirit and enable you on the way. So submit to God's authority through human authorities. Pay what you owe, especially in love. And wake up. Salvation is sooner than you think. Let me pray.